Welcome to the Tech Sales Show, dedicated to making you a better seller. Recorded 4,827 miles across the Atlantic Ocean with Bobby Das from Houston, Texas, a father, husband, golfer, pilot, and tech seller. And Brian Evans, an expat in London, England, family man, 2X Ironman, and an ERP salesman. Both sharing tried and true sales strategies and providing free tools to make each week and campaign easier for you. They also answer your questions weekly. Now, here is Bobby and Brian. Hey, hey, everyone. It's Brian from the Tech Sales Show. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time to listen to the Tech Sales Show, check out some of our previous episodes as well. We've got a couple series released. Uh, the first one was around first meeting prep. How do you get prepared for this prospect meeting that you've worked so hard to get. Um, this is a great series comprised of four episodes. The second series we did was on territory planning. This is kind of the first quarter, start of the second quarter for most uh, salespeople. If you're looking to rejuvenate your territory plan or get prepared to build a new territory plan, you definitely need to check this series out. We've got a lot of deliverables around both of these series. We also have released some episodes that we call Listener's Choice. Listener's Choice are questions that come in from listeners, as you'd expect. Uh, the first one we did was around prospect correspondence. So if you're looking to uh, spur interest in a prospect over email, we've got some great ideas for you. If you want to get introduced into a prospective customer, we've got some great ways for you to correspond with people that have connections with prospective customers. So check that one out. The last most recent listener's choice we did was on negotiation. It's kind of that final step of a deal. Uh, and we've got some ideas for you to think about and give us feedback on. So for today's episode, though, we've got a fantastic guest. It's Jennifer Hurd. Bobby and I have worked for Jennifer Hurd when she was vice president at Microsoft. She's carried a number of VP roles at Microsoft, both domestically in the United States and abroad in Europe. She's been Vice President of Worldwide Sales and Marketing Strategy. She's been Vice President of Worldwide Corporate Accounts and Partner Sales. Today, she carries the title of SVP of Global Strategic Partners at Turbonomic. If you're not familiar with Turbonomic, it's really cool technology. It's supporting or really revolutionizing the complexities of managing applications across cloud infrastructures. And with as competitive as the market is today, the cloud market with Azure and AWS, this is saving enterprise organizations a ton of money. So check out Terminomic. Check out what the work that Jennifer's doing over there. She's got a really unique background. I think that's what you'll find most unique about this episode when you, when you listen to Jennifer. She started off as an engineer, so she's got kind of a technical background, uh, which is uncommon uh, for most technical uh, or business and sales leaders that, uh, that are out there today. She, at Microsoft, won the Circle of Excellence many, many times, so she's a multi-time award winner there. She's a big supporter of women in technology, uh, was named one of the top most 100 most influential women in the channel. That's the, the channel sales organization supporting the major publishers, and was named most influential woman in Texas. So anyhow, it's a great episode. We'd love your feedback on it, and check out our previous episodes. Thanks, everyone. Here's Jennifer. Jennifer Hurd, thank you so much for joining today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an exciting opportunity. Jennifer, so we both, Bobby and I, both worked in your organization at Microsoft, both as account execs, as sales leaders in Texas, uh, and you've had senior leadership roles, vice president roles, really all over the world. Uh, Microsoft in Paris, you're back in the United States now. 
But before we get talking about what you're doing today and what you're doing now, you've got a unique uh, background and your your entry into this industry was pretty unique. Uh, can you tell us a bit about how you got into um, into the technical capacity? Yeah, absolutely. Not to give away my age, but I've been doing this for a long time. I'm probably about 30 years now. And, you know, 30 years ago as a female in, in when I was attending university, it wasn't common for women to be part of um, technology classes, but I found a passion in coding and working in, in um, computer science. And fortunately, once I got out of college, I went into the workforce and I was able to land in an IT role. And so a lot of folks don't know that about me, that I started in IT. I started as an as, as a systems engineer, um, was able to climb the ranks within the corporate world to a CIO level, and then joined Microsoft as a systems engineer, leading their messaging platform and technology. So I went from technology within a corporation to leading corporate sales around the world to the, with the biggest company like Microsoft. Jennifer, what do you think that the technical background that you had has helped you be a great sales leader, both at Microsoft and other companies? When you are working in a technical sales role or working for a company that sells you know, solutions to IT, you have to have some level of empathy for what they go through. And you can often relate if you've been in their shoes. Um, it's harder to learn those skills if you've never done it. And so I always say walk in their shoes a bit before you try to sell a, a product to them because then you can really come at it from the angle that they see it versus trying to just sell you know, features and functionality and not really understanding how you're solving their problem. Yeah. So, so Jennifer, talk about how did you make, how did you make that role from kind of that technical um, engineer role into a, a sales organization. Can you talk about that that journey? Like, what, who who gave you your first shot, and what what were you doing, and then kind of your path up to sales leadership itself. That is such a fun story to share because you know when you are in a technical sales role, you think you understand what it's like to be a sales rep. And I remember having this conversation with my boss at the time, saying. Um, I could be a, a self-leader, and she had told me, you've never carried a bag, and I said, what do you mean? I sell every day. I go and support our, our sellers, and I'm the one that does all the selling because I, I know the technology, um, and I remember her telling me, until you carry a bag and you have to get the customer to sign on the dotted line, at the time you, you're forecasting that deal to close, you really don't have the credibility of being a sales leader. And so she gave me that ch chance to say, go try it and let me lead a sales organization. And I found out I was actually pretty good at it. Um, but I can tell you that I did have a lot of surprises that I didn't realize. And I was so glad I had that chance to learn before I um, you know, was really thrown into a bigger organization running sales. It's funny you say that. I, 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 was, I was very techie uh, before I became a salesperson. And I remember just just hating, loathing salespeople because I thought I was so much better. And then uh, probably carried my first real bag at Microsoft, had my first real quota. And uh, boy, things changed quite a bit in those days when it was all about what I was supposed to be accomplishing. You've made the move to Turbonomic. Fascinating company, great technology. I see them in my customers. I know the people that work there here locally in Houston. Tell us about the work that you're doing now. 
So since I left Microsoft a little over a year ago, after almost 22 years of um, working in such a large, successful organization, I came over to Turbonomic um, because of the, the differentiation they brought to the market for customers that are looking to move their data centers to the cloud. I spent years trying to get a partner ecosystem built to have that uh, that um, service offerings to the customers to really understand what it takes to take lift and shift or really plan for those migrations. And it's a very difficult task for many customers and our partners to understand how to do that. And Turbonomic has an unbelievable solution. And so when I started looking at the company and what I do next, I really wanted to be in a game-changing technology and part of a disruptive um, opportunity to help our customers have value as they move to the cloud. And so it's part of the digital transformation aspiration I have, and that's part of uh, what Turbonomic does. And it's just been an incredible – I've been there almost a year now, and it's just been an incredible um, experience. And they continue to uh, amaze me at what's possible. So tell us, Jennifer, about uh, what role you're doing there specifically today. Like what what part of the organization are you leading for the company? Oh, yeah. So the role that I do, so that's why I came over. So then the role Mm -hmm. that I'm responsible for, I came over first to just start building a channel ecosystem. Um, And this was in the first few months. And then we realized that the cloud... Uh, because it's been an on-premise company for yep. six years, and they off- we launched the cloud version back in July. And since then, um, I've been putting a lot of energy with the Microsoft, AWS, and Google partnerships. And so that has uh, I've shifted my focus to running the channel to full-time running the cloud strategic partnerships for Turbonomic. And so that means I work with engineering, I work with our sales, I work with go-to-market, um, and we have a global footprint of trying to drive um, the awareness of what Turbonomic does, as well as how we can help our customers jointly be successful. Very nice. Very nice. So uh, Bobby and I both read uh, your article uh, that you wrote last year, kind of about the you know the perceptions of working for a major big company to to a company that's more of a challenger and up and coming. Um, what advice, because it's different. So Bob and I, as you know, both did this leaving Microsoft to go to SparkHound and, and, and running a small business that was growing and, and changing. Um, and I've done the same from Microsoft to Workday. What advice do you have for whether it's uh, somebody in sales or it's a manager that's looking to make a move from a big company to a small company or vice versa? So, yeah, so the article you're speaking of is the one where I talked about jumping from the big company, you know, big, big, big pond to a little one. Yep. Um, and as I shared in there, you know, it's really about rolling up your sleeves. You got to get into the weeds. You got to wear a lot of hats. And um, but what I would say that the thing that's been the most surprising for those that are looking to do that is you've got to be prepared for the unexpected, because when you think you understand or you think, oh, there's, you know, I've been in this big company, I've experienced a lot of the challenges a small company would experience, you actually haven't. Because you you know well that when you're in a small company, there's fewer resources, there's fewer, you know, you, your brand is har- harder to be known. Um, the selling is very, you've got to get, you know, you've got to get gritty. You got to get in there and you got to, you got to yeah. be willing to roll up your sleeves and do things that you, you haven't done for years. And so brush off the old skills of cold calling experience almost. Um, and so it's been fascinating, but also um, humbling in that, you know, you really find out what you don't know 
in a small company because you have to wear so many hats. Yeah, I, I, I jokingly tell people that work now around me at Dell EMC that they, they, they're frustrated they don't have 100% market share or something like that. Why don't you try to go from a company with a brand like Dell to a company with a brand like Sparkhound and get a meeting? I mean, it is a big, big difference. Absolutely. That's so true. The brand is not known and customers are like, I've got a thousand of you to consider. Why would I consider you? Yeah, it's amazing. I just, they don't know how much of an advantage they really have with the backing of a brand that's been built and been just tried and true for decades. So with that, our our mantra here, our goal is to take average sellers and hopefully make them above average sellers. You've had dozens, if not hundreds of account execs work in your orgs across the years. What is a common pitfall that you saw sales reps do over and over that you wish you could wave a magic wand and solve for all of them? Well, and you know, when you work in a big company, there's a lot more training for your sellers to learn how to avoid those pitfalls. When you're in a small company, the training is not as available. And so you see a lot more mistakes. So, but I would see the same in the big companies, but the number one thing I, I would say is the pitfall you've got to be careful is selling when you're selling to the audience you're selling to, you need to understand that. And often I see sellers going in, jumping straight to product features and functionality before getting to understand what the customer real needs are and what solve problem you're trying to solve for them. Um, And then you end up wasting resources, wasting time, and the customer doesn't invite you back. Um, And often they won't even tell you why you're not invited back. It's just because you didn't come in prepared. Um, So that would be the the biggest thing. I I observe and I coach folks to be, you know, be really um, prepared before you walk into that meeting. Yeah. So, and, and that's really what our first series was all about is, is that first meeting preparation. It's, it's coming to the table with an opinion and a, a well-educated opinion and, um, and bringing something to the table, like you said. And I, I feel like we're moving also, Jennifer, Bobby, both to this uh, era and age of more educated sellers. I think uh, having a, a more technical background is more appreciated because you can uh, you can more easily put yourself in the customer's shoes. So I, I think we're moving to this stage of of having more educated sellers because I think the customers are demanding that. Yeah, and and they expect you to because you, the information's available to you at your fingertips. And yeah. at the company I'm at now, they're, we're using a training called Matic. I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's Force Management Matic. And we just went through a series of training. And and the key thing that you know we're teaching our sellers is understand have a clear understanding, you know, what are the, what are the things that the customer's measuring or what are the metrics they're using to define success? And then in that project or work that you're, you're aligning to, do you have the economic buyer, the person that can, has the overall project accountability and what are the outcomes they're looking for? And then can you differentiate your value proposition as you walk in so that you, you're sure you're identifying all the appropriate, you know, um, uh, areas of opportunity to show value. And so it's a really a, um, great approach of, of helping our sellers be more methodical about preparing for that first meeting, why you're having it, who you're having it with, and what are you showing up with as you were describing what are those metrics or those things that you can define as differentiation. Yeah, we use Medic at uh, Dell EMC, and uh, you have to Medic any deal that's of significance of any kind, and uh, I'm familiar with all those words you're using. It does feel an awful lot like solution selling and all these other things, and 
our our next series is going to be on the sales process. I, I believe that the biggest thing around the lack of performing there really is people who don't follow a sales process. They either have a lead and hope or they use their brand to get that meeting. They just don't really execute well. Um, that's, that's what I think mm-hmm. is yeah. a huge weakness in our, in our industry today. To that point, I guess, what would you say good looks like when you were, uh, the, the VP of central region and people would have you in their city and they would take you, what told you that this meeting was medicked well, that you knew it was going to be a great meeting. You'd get a backgrounder. You wouldn't have a lot more information than that backgrounder. What was, what did good look like? And how did you know when you were going to a really good meeting worth your time and for the company? Well, and you may recall my my mantra every time I would visit your sub or, or wherever I was going. I was always like, "Do you have an agenda? <laughs> have you met? Do you understand what what um, expected outcomes are of those meetings? And what 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 does success look like for us to secure the next step?" So I always wanted to go into that meeting with some structure, but validating that with the person we're meeting with. Um, ensuring that we're aligned to what they're looking for and that we are meeting those expectations. And then when we don't leave that meeting without a clear next step and action items, how to take it to that next level. And if we do that well, then to me that was successful, that we've got the customer nodding. Yes, this was very helpful. It educated me to want to do the next step. Very nice. Yeah, so if anyone that's listening to this has not listened to our first series, check it out. It's really all about... Uh, executing on that first meeting. And and for that matter, it will set you up for meetings in later stages as well. So Jennifer, you've, uh, you've done a lot of great things over your career, top 100 women in the channel, uh, most influential woman in Texas, uh, multiple Microsoft uh, COEs, which for those that didn't work at Microsoft, it's circle of excellence. Uh, What's your, your proudest professional accomplishment? Yeah, I would say seeing a team that's worked so hard, like our team when we were in South Central, um, seeing a team that's worked so hard all year get recognized for their accomplishments and being able to know that, you know, while it wasn't just me, it was a it was a one team effort and knowing that they all get to celebrate. Seeing that happen probably was the proudest from a from a professional standpoint of going from SE to truly being a leader of a sales organization and see the, see, see that group turn, turn the business around and also achieve those accomplishments. It's, 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 it's a very fulfilling thing, but I would say the other side of it, and Bobby will remember this very well is being part of the team at Microsoft that helped the, um, the local community when Katrina hit the Gulf coast, um, the way we rallied as a company and we worked with the red cross and we were able to give back to the community to locate and track their loved ones because the technology was pretty new at that point and we built it and delivered it. That was a true highlight. Like seeing my team win was great, but having an impact on the community with a company like Microsoft and the, and just the drive to, to do good for the community was the biggest accomplishment I had in my career. Yeah, looking back, I almost forgot Katrina because it's only been six months since Harvey. I'm sure you still have friends and maybe some family around here. Did Harvey hit your family or friends in any way, Jennifer? Yes. um, Unfortunately, well, fortunately, everybody's safe. 
unfortunately, my I, my husband and I have six rental homes in Houston, and um, two of them, one was completely lost, and one was e- extremely damaged. So um, I, I feel for the people that lost their their homes and didn't have insurance and all of those things. It was a devastating time um, for us, but also for many people in Houston. So um, thank you for asking. And my heart goes out to so many that had to deal with Harvey. Uh, I've just heard story after story that would crush anyone that wasn't here to see it firsthand. Um, It's hard to interpret really what the impact was when you just see the news stories and you're so far away from it. But it was a crazy seven days and it's going to be a crazy seven years of recovery um, for, for those people that were individually impacted, but the cities, it's going to take forever. The building that we were in had four floors flooded because it was somewhere underground there by the bayou and two above ground floors were flooded. I mean, the building's ruined. It's, and you know, it's a 18 story building on one riverway. Um, it's just going to take years and years for those things. So to more happy topics, maybe it was a tough time, but, uh, we, we as sellers, uh, probably all salespeople have a lot of stress, but tech sellers, it's crazy how fast our world changes. And we all chose this fast paced world and changing environment. How does Jennifer and the herd family really manage that workload and that life away from work? Um, so that you're just not constantly consumed by it. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we just had Women's Day, right? And I was mm-hmm. reading all the heroic stories and all the all the women that were just influential to me in my life, but influential to, um, you know, to others. And I think about work work life balance more in a way of work life integration. And I often get women that come to me and say, "How do you have a family? And do you have a career like you have?" Um, and I would say that it starts. It's a very personal. Um, decision and it's a family decision and the only way I've been able to survive um, doing both at the pace I do is to have an agreement with my family what's critical to us and when do I need to be where almost like managing my time for my family equally as balanced equally as important as managing the time for my career and so what I do is a simple trick is I take my family calendar and I put it in my work calendar and I work around it. And so, for example, my daughter's a competitive dancer. Um, she's got competitive dance every weekend. Pretty much we've got dance competitions, so I need to be home for those, or I need to be on the road with her, so I make sure that that's a priority. And then I try to find time for dates with my husband when I need to, you know, when we can also fit that in. So, um, you know, I think it's just important to integrate it. And you and, and you can't, one rule doesn't apply for everybody would be my main message to, to folks. And so with all that, Jennifer, you've still been able to be a perennial achiever. Um, and so when you look at your career, when you look at other others' careers, how do, what's the difference that you see in someone that's a perennial achiever versus someone that's one or two time hit achiever? Because you, you could skew things uh, completely on the personal side and and have a kind of an, an average professional career, but you've been able to balance both very well and be a, a someone that's achieved year after year. So what, what do you think the difference is? What uh, things do you notice? Yeah, and immediately when I hear the word perennial, I think of my garden and how much effort I have to put in when I have to keep <laughs> yes. new flowers every year versus, oh, I just look out and it looks beautiful. And why does it look beautiful? Because it's got roots. It's got, you know, it's got all the things that can continue to bring joy to our to our, our garden. 
Um, but r- seriously, in, in a profession, um, you've got to think about what your strengths are. And in order to be perennial in, in, in success, you have to always leverage them. And those that have one or two hit wonder years, I've had a lot of sellers that will knock it out of the park one year. And I think, oh, I'll put them on this pedestal, but then they can't repeat it. You know, and so in, and they can't repeat it. But more importantly, it's like if you want to put them in a different role, what's your confidence? They'll have the tools to be successful in something that's a different environment. And so I've always tried to find, um, look for my strengths and make sure any role I go for, I can leverage them to bring me to success. And so that's, I think, the important thing for folks to really think about, especially those that are leaders, Look for their seller's strengths and make sure they're they're set up for success to leverage them, and you'll see a perennial achiever when you do that. Yeah, hopefully everyone heeds that advice and uh, they become a perennial seller. We know you've been a top achiever for many years. Other than hard work, other than the 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 strength of balancing those things, what do you think is different about your approach that that has made you a top achiever? It starts with the attitude. I think the attitude and then surrounding yourself with incredible talent. Um, I look back at my successes. It wasn't me. It, it really came from folks like you. Um, I, just brought, I just brought the clarity and the energy to bring everyone together to deliver. But I surround myself with incredible talent. That's the number one thing. And you have to have the belief and the energy and the, you know, the passion to, to really take the business to the next level. You know, you can bring a lot of smart people to the table, but if they don't have a vision and they aren't energized by where they're heading, that that intelligence really doesn't take us anywhere. Yeah. So, Jennifer, how would you like? Can you tell us a bit about how how do you tactically speaking? How do you structure your day? What's your, what's your morning routine look like? How do you um, how do you get prepared for the day? How do you make sure that you're executing on the most strategic things? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how you how you prep to execute on your job? Yeah, I think that, you know, when you're in a role like I'm in, um, when when you have uh, multiple hats that you have to wear and you've got a lot of pressures from multiple sources, whether it's from our board of directors to our chairman and you know, executive chairman all the way to the frontline sellers, I've got to look at that um, priority list of things to get done. And I do look at the most critical things first. I try to put those on the top of my list. Even if they're the hardest things, I try to put them first. But it's so important to have your calendar thought through every week where you know how you're spending your time. Um, I often have to travel, so I have to put that into consideration. Um, but I do start I start the day the night before. I'll put it that way. I always take, you know, before I go to bed, I go into my calendar, I look at my action items, what do I have to get done tomorrow, and I make sure I'm well prepared. Um, and that way it sets me up for the day and then, you know, every night I have that routine to check in. And then in the morning, I can just jump right into my meetings feeling confident I've got the priorities established for that day. And so it's, 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 you have to have diligence. It's not easy. You have to manage your time wisely. And especially the more senior you get, the more people that are going to be pulling at your time. Yeah. I, I've got the same kind of habit because you get, you know, if you shut, let's say you shut down at six o'clock or whatever, there's still a stream of emails that come in at, you know, from six to nine p.m., I've kind of got a, a habit of um, getting things cleaned up real quick before I go to bed um, to know what the top two or three things I've got to accomplish the next day, so that whenever I log on the next morning, 
uh, my mind is focused and I'm not looking at a trail of, of 20 emails that I've received the night before, um, that I can be a bit more, uh, uh, I don't know, strategic when it comes to the next morning. Well, you've got the worldwide t- time that you've got to worry about. Yes. That's my situation too. So things happen throughout the night. So that I should have said, I also check in first thing in the morning to see if anything changed because things will change on my calendar, you know, last minute. And if, if you're not prepared for that, you can be spending time unnecessarily. Jennifer, you work for a company that is an, a, a company that's changing the way consumers or customers consume both on-prem infrastructure and the cloud infrastructure. What do you think, and maybe you guys have a roadmap, but what do you think the biggest change that's still coming is? From the days when you were in SE and I was installing the first versions of Citrix, tech is completely different today. I'm just curious, what do you think the next big change for our customer base is going to be? Well, I think, and what I'm observing is right now we think about data center on-prem and we think about the public cloud providers, you know, AWS. Where are you putting that workload so your applications can run, right? Whether you're running SAP or a personal app like Facebook. Um, What's going to happen is your cell towers are going to become your data centers because pretty soon the capacity is going to start moving to the edge. And so how do you start managing where your workload sits from on-prem to cloud to tower? And so that's where it starts to get really exciting. Um, At the end of the day, we all care about having instant application and secure applications and top performance, right? You want your app to work on any device, anywhere, anytime. Well, the underlying infrastructure that gets, makes that happen, it's, it's, the same wherever you put it, it's just going to have to have, uh, you know, different approaches to get at it, right? Whether it's public cloud or on-prem or, or tower. So that's where I see um, data is big, BI is big, AI is big, um, and then where the networking is going to be routing and where it's going to get its resources is going to continue to evolve. How do you, Jennifer, how do you stay on top of all this? Like what what tends to be your source for um, staying up to date, obviously, you know, being a senior leader in your organization will, will, uh, certainly help that. But from, uh, how do you, how do you generally consume the news and, uh, and stay ahead of things like BI and AI and, and, and become educated yourself? Well, you know, I, I leverage social. I, I actually yeah. leverage LinkedIn. I leverage these kinds of podcasts. I leverage Twitter. I join communities like Executive Club to see what's buzzing around in that community. I'm on. The, I follow the digital transformation communities on LinkedIn. So I'm a relentless reader in social for for business needs. Like I do, I like social for fun, but I spend most of my time on the business side. You know, and I try to read books, but the books don't seem to stay as current these days as you get, you know, what's online real time. So that's what I do. Um, and you can you have to go to sources that you trust and that give you information that you can carry forward and be relevant when you're having your conversations with customers because they're, they're reading it too. And then it's, it's a good way to actually establish rapport when you're in those customer meetings because they might have read the same article. Yeah, and and for those listening, we'll include some links on the uh, on the podcast page in the show notes. Um, Harvard Business Review is always a fantastic source. Are there any others that that you really like, or is it kind of what is in uh, on your trusted Twitter feed? Um, anything anything pop to mind yeah, for you? I, I definitely read um, Harvard Business Review. Um, 
I've, I've joined, uh, well, I, the one, the executive club is a good one. Yeah. And then I've, I, I do look for what people that I follow and trust in the industry. If they've got, if they share an article, then I'll, I'll click on that and I might join that community as well. So I just, you know, I try to follow what's, what's, um, trending. Um, we fortunately at Turbonomic have a tool called Pulse that they're able to give us the hot feeds and things that we should reshare and push through Twitter. So that keeps me current too, to get to the most relevant content without me having to go search for it. So that's kind of a cool solution that the companies provided their sellers. You mentioned books and the books are kind of out of date. Social is kind of taking over the world. But my last question today is what, what books would you, do you gift or recommend the most to Either it doesn't have to be based on technical sales or sales in general or business even. Just what what's your book recommendation or gifted book that you like to share the most? Uh, today, my still to my fa- my favorite book to this day is still Growth Mindset, and I know Satya Nadella gave that to all the sellers a few years ago at Microsoft, but it's still one of my favorite that I usually suggest people um, read. The other one that's not as known, but it's something that I often have. Uh, sales leaders read when they're starting to deal with tough conversations, trying to get to yes, trying to get, you know, their sellers to, you know, have those conversations that are really hard. Um, It's called Fierce Conversations. It's a great book for just tips and tricks on, you know, opening questions to, you know, how to listen for the cues and and how to be confident in the questions that you want to ask your customer and try to get, get them closer to making a decision. That's great. We'll we'll definitely include uh, links to both of those books and do a little bit of a summary on them. So with that, Jennifer, thank you so much for uh, carving out the time in your busy schedule to uh, join us. It was my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Tech Sales Show with Bobby and Brian. Subscribe to their email list by going to bobbyandbrian.com and follow them on Twitter at Bobby Brian Sales.